Mr. Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is a big one. We're condensing all the things I learned that helped make me successful for four out of the first five seasons I hunted elk into one episode, all the strategy and all the tactics. And we're also going to combine it with Josh's experience, so stay tuned. Hey, Josh. Baxter, last part of the crash course. Last part of the crash course. I think uh, of all the episodes we're going to do where I wish we had time, this is probably it because we're going to oh, talk all the things. This is like if people are truly wondering what makes them successful elk hunting, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you for sure this worked four times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And we covered already the logistics stuff, planning, some decisions ahead of time. We covered scouting and e-scouting. We covered all the gear overview in the last episode. And now it's time to close the distance, find some elk, shoot them, learn how to pack them out. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll spend most of the time on just like strategy and tactics for like getting an elk down. Like that's, I think of all the things I'm like, if I'm like, what do I do well or what made me successful? Like I do a lot of funky, unusual things. Um, so anyway, like I said, I'm not the end all be all. There's tons of different approaches, but uh, hopefully this really helps folks out, especially if they don't have time to listen to the five or six hours of stuff. Um, although I would say of all the ones we've talked about, these are really worth it because there's a lot of detail here. Yeah. And so the people who have listened to the previous one so far, let's say they have all the knowledge, they, they got all the gear they need. Now they're out there. And the first thing they got to do when they're out there is find some elk. <laughs> yep. What, what do you think are, actually, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for finding elk first for like newbies? Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, it's astounding, man. I've been watching as always like way too many. I basically watch every archery elk YouTube made. <laughs> Let's be real. I watch like one or two a week at, at least, if not five or 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that rate, there's, there's only about a thousand on the internet. Right. So, um, after four or five years, you get them all. But what's astounding to me is most people don't even see elk. Right. And they keep hunting if they don't see elk the same way in the same area. And that's, that blows my mind that guys are willing to go elk hunting and not see them because as we talked about before, like it takes 10 opportunities to get lucky once, which is roughly why there's, you know, 10% of guys successful every year. Right. And so if you're not even seeing elk, you're not even getting your 10 opportunities. Um, so I think that's the biggest hurdle is guys don't know what to do to just find them because that's the easy part finding the elk the hard part is closing the distance and like getting the shot right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so um i think i think my first scouting trip when i went to colorado i like mm-hmm. did some e-scouting and i was like okay these areas seem kind of a high probability and it was my first time solo backpacking outside of the state and so even solo camping outside the state. And so when I got there, I had no idea what to look for it. And that's what happened to me. I didn't see a single elk. I didn't hear a single elk. I didn't see a single fresh sign. I saw a bunch of old sign. I took a bunch of pictures and thought it was really cool, but (laughs) that was about it. Well, I think, uh, I think that's a really good example because you didn't, we didn't talk or anything. You didn't prep. You just like went for it, which Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really cool. Like total respect and admiration that you just went for it. Um, so that's not it. I got anyone that just goes for it. Kudos to you. Um, but I think a lot of the things you did there, like you could probably tear it apart, but for the sake of time, like we will just go quick, but I feel like you didn't run a loop, right? You just kind of went to one spot and kind of hung out. 
mm-hmm. you did like you were ahead of most guys and that you did have some things marked on onyx but you also didn't really know what to look for per se right. and then you did the stereotypical thing which is you had one spot right yes. instead of running in there within a certain amount of time you're like i'm out i think that's one of the most important things in elk hunting is knowing when to cut it uh, mm-hmm. when to cut your losses and run um so yeah well maybe we just talk about the loop thing and then uh go from there because that's that's the strategy and i think that's why um i've gotten lucky or successful or whatever and it's really again it's weird to me to be talking like oh i've gotten four out of five elk whatever but i do think there's things i'm doing that most guys don't do and it always weird i'm always surprised when i talk to them and they're not so this is definitely one of them um so the loop the loop is basically when you're scouting you scout the area you spend a good amount of time you scouting we talked about the importance of that um, and then you mark all these different waypoints of wallows and streams and all that good stuff, uh, meadows, benches, and then you kind of roughly connect a loop, whether it's usually it's around a valley, it's like up one side and then cross and then come back down or around a mountain or something, mm-hmm. just make a loop, right? Like look at it in the air and go, okay, here's the loop. And then like we talked about before on the other podcast, you always have your A, your B, your C, your D spot because whatever. So for me, when I'm hunting, I'm always running the loop. I'm gonna go do that loop in 24 hours or less maybe 48 if it's a really long one but if i don't see something in those 24 hours i'm out of there like i'm on to the next one because elk uh elk just move we're oh i don't want to spoiler alert this but we just got the game cam cards after (laughs) a year of them being they just sat out there all season and fortunately the cameras worked start to do a whole podcast on that but if one of the things you learn from that is that the elk are never around for more than a day or two, they're just gone. So anyway, that's why I think running the loop is so important is you get out there, you run your loop, you know what to look for. If you find elk, you stick. If you don't, you're on to the next spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. And by find elk, do you mean see elk like actual elk or do you also, you're also referring to sign, right? Yeah. Sign and whatever it is, um, you know, sign, uh, there's a lot of different things, right? It's listening. Do you hear elk? Do you um, see them with glassing? I think a lot of guys don't. uh, In this phase of your hunting, you're not micro hunting. I think a lot of guys also start hunting micro. That makes sense. They're hunting in 50 yard increments. They're walking through dark timber, looking around and like, that's the worst possible way to locate elk versus if you're getting up high and you're glassing square miles of terrain at a time, Mm -hmm. you know, while you're doing your loop, like your loop should definitely have a few glassing points you can cover 40, 50 square miles in a day. Right, right. right. You, this valley, the valley over there, that valley, this valley. So yeah, it's definitely locating them by sight um, and then you know, sound sign, right? Um, and there's a lot of different sign, which we can hit quick. Guys should really look at the that episode if they're interested in that one because we go into real deep, <laughs> gritty detail around uh, what poop even looks like <laughs> by, by time. If it's less than 30 minutes, less than an hour, less than three hours, you know, whatever it is, right? All the different um, shades of colors and textures, the- <laughs> smells and tastes of the poop. Yep. So yep. Uh, I always yeah. lick it just to see. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll link that in the description. You can actually see pictures of it and, and yeah. compare. So that'll be good. Yeah. No, that's so. So I think there's a lot of different things you can look for in that loop. But for me, it's like if you find those, then you're like, ah, I'm in the right spot. They're here. Now it's worth going micro. And so mm. I think if we're stepping back, like that's the whole summary of this episode is like, when you're you're not hunting till you found elk you're just moving you're moving really really fast and looking until you find sign then you're hunting right right because then if you yeah. 
if you stick to one meadow area where you think they're going to be and you're just slowly creeping around in there, that's like already zooming in with a magnifying glass in a small yeah. area instead of like seeing where you should zoom in in the first place. You might just be wasting time, huh? Yeah. I think there's a huge difference between scouting and hunting. <laughs> I think that the majority of guys and everyone should be scouting during season. Scouting is finding where elk are. That is, no matter what type of hunt you do, you're always going to scout for at least the first few minutes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if not the first half of the week. Um, and I think most guys go straight to hunting mode when they don't even know if there's elk there. And I, I think that also comes from East Coast background where there's, you never go to the East Coast and you're like, there's not whitetail in this area, right? Like there's so many whitetail. There's just a massive density of them in that area. And same with, um, same with West Coast deer hunting. Like they're so spooky and so ghost-like you're you don't really know where they are you're not going to probably see them ever so you kind of just have to hunt the same area over and over right there's a lot of guys that don't hunt elk that aren't used to the fact they're like very transitory they move super fast um, that hunt that way so that's Mm -hmm. i think the biggest mistake guys make is they spend because we talked the, the number one factor is being close to the elk so even if you're spending all your days out there you're packing your stuff ahead of time so you don't spend time at the car you're not where they are, you're still wasting your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you get in, you run the loop, you glass along the way, you look for sign, you're listening for them. Yeah. Um, all kinds of sign, poop, rub tracks, you're stopping by wallows, high probability areas. And then yeah. if you don't find anything, how quickly do you get out of there? Under 24 hours, one night, yeah. one morning, um, maybe one more. You know, if you really like for, we've talked about this where I hunt, like I'm 99% sure there's always an elk in that basin at some point. Yeah. So I'm going to maybe give it two days. Um, but I pushed it too long this year. We, we talked about, um, yeah, so with the baby just, and everything. And yeah, yeah. I can't really move as fast. Right. I've got, turns out relocating an RV with a kid and it's a little hard. Um, but so, I would say real fast, but mm-hmm. you know, with that sign, like we probably should talk a little bit about sign. Right. Okay. Um, we talked about the poop, but I think aging tracks is probably the most important thing people can do. Mm. They'll always leave tracks, mm-hmm. always leave tracks. Sometimes they leave poop. Sometimes they scrape. Sometimes they wallow. Sometimes they X, Y, Z. But I think the, there's a real art to aging a track in the West where it's really dry, you know, where it's not necessarily in mud. I mean, I've seen folks like my wife's a perfect example. She was brand new. Um, who came out and saw tracks in the mud and was like, oh, it's really fresh. And it's like, no, it's actually three weeks old. It's just sharp because it's in the mud. Right. Versus you see stuff in the sand and you're like, ah, oh, that thing's really old. But no, it's actually within the last 30 minutes. It's just sandy. Uh-huh. Um, so I think looking at those, we did went into detail. Guys can go look at that. But my general tips on that are like, it's always about the edges of the track, how sharp those are mm-hmm. at the very edge. Um, and if you don't, if you're not sure how the perfect thing to do is just blow on the track. Just get down on your hands and knees and give it a good, because if it crumbles instantly, you know that that stuff is not going to hold an edge for more than like, you know, half a day at best. Right. Um, And so, you know, that's a really stinking fresh track versus if it's mud and you do that and nothing changes, you're like, Oh, that might have been there for a long time. Right. Um, And then you can also look inside of it. You look and see if the grass or leaves inside the track have been crushed or if they're like bouncing back, are they brown? Are they still green? Um, So anyway, of all the sign things, I think that's the most important because it's very easy to tell if stuff's active. Yeah. And I also remember you giving a really good tip of um, getting your boot and stepping next to the 
track because mm-hmm. then you know your boots like super fresh track and you can yep. compare those edges to what the track looks like um you also want, once mentioned um it's the edges but then it's also if anything's fallen into the actual track like if a yep. leaf fell into it or there's a bunch of stuff in it then obviously yep. it's a little older because stuff's constantly falling from the sky and wind's blowing around so yeah and there will be stuff to your point too there always will be stuff in it but whether it's like compressed into the ground or it's like just loosely filled right that's another really dead giveaway so it's hard to do over a podcast but if you if a guy could do that and he could run his loop mm-hmm. uh, and just listen and look if he could do those three things that's all he needs to do um to figure out a felker in the area and just having the confidence to say nope they are not here on a spot b like gone right uh, within 24 hours is the single best thing you could do because spending more time it's going to just murder your success rate versus going somewhere where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the, the locating bit in my mind. Okay. Um, and yeah. So now if in your scenarios, every time you run the loop each year, like when you go to a new spot, um, what's the most common thing you see first that gives away elk? Is it usually sign or do you usually hear them first or do you usually see them first? That's what's good, been the most common yeah it's a good question um i mean i've zeroed it in so much i know the area and i love it that it's almost always um well, it's almost always sign oh, okay stepping back like it is almost always the tracks like you're even if you're not in the area where the elk are you can be walking up the road and be like hey that's like two days old right mm-hmm. that's three days old and i'm not i'm not looking for today everywhere but i want to see today or yesterday at least one or two of the places but if I'm seeing two or three days here, two or three days there, you know, that means they're in the area. Uh, and then, I mean, honestly, every opening day, I'm trying to make sure the statement's true. Yes, every single opening day in Colorado, no, all but one, four out of five, um, every single opening day in Colorado and Idaho, I've seen elk day one. Every opening day. Every opening day. Yeah, it was wow. first year. The first year I ever went, I didn't see stuff opening day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, we shot one opening day. <laughs> the year after that, uh, we saw one or two, but didn't get them. The year before that, shot one opening day. The year, this year, fifth year. Um, we talked about that. I, I could have shot three the first day. So, right. Um, yeah, if you're in the right area, it's not. That's. I'm not saying that to like two horns or anything. I think what I'm trying to say is get, you know it if you're in the right area. You're not like, huh, am I in the right area? You're like, yeah, there's freaking sign and elk here. Mm. If you're not seeing that, just move. move yeah. Move. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's, uh, that's kind of that. But, so that's yeah. locating. Locating and then camping. I mean, we did a whole episode on this, like where to camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I don't think guys really, really think about this. And as far as strategy, I think this is one of the most important calls people make. And I, I'm a huge fan of camping up high. We've been over this. Um, you've done this too, but uh, I think the first thing when you say I'm going to camp up higher, like where the elk are, everyone goes, oh my gosh, you can't camp close to elk. Everybody's told me it ruins it, yada, yada, yada. Um, I really don't think that's the case. In my, I've never had an experience where I've slept somewhere and elk have not walked by the tent. They've not, like I've woken up multiple times where they're so close to the tent, I have to wait a while so i can unzip the zipper without spooking them <laughs> oh yeah don't. i remember last year yeah last year yeah. remember we were we were in our tents and they were going nuts all around us we woke up the next morning and that was the day i killed that bull right yeah uh, i mean they don't care they just don't care once you're in the tent 
your scent kind of gets trapped. I mean, you can't do stupid stuff. You can't camp on an elk trail. You can't camp five feet from an elk trail. You know what I mean? Like you can't be an idiot, like get off the main fair a little bit, but like mm -hmm. I've camped within 150 yards of elk. And honestly, it's really annoying because <laughs> all you do is you hear them bugling and making noise all night long. You're like, shut up. <laughs> it's really fun for the first hour. And then you're like, oh, this is going to get old. Um, yeah. I, I got pretty excited every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still get really excited at the beginning, but then when I'm really getting sleepy, I'm like, come on. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, when I'm talking camping high, if you do it right and you're smart about getting at least, you know, 40, 50 50 yards is kind of the magic number at least 50 yards from where you think they would be walking you're fine but under 200 totally you're good yeah um but anyway uh so camping up high why like why would i do this right if you're i'll just play a scenario out if you're camping down low the elk historically traditionally in most states other than like southern colorado but let's just leave that on the table for a second they come down at night and they go back up in the morning right Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, one of two things is happening in the morning. If you're walking in, you're either bumping them in the dark or you're chasing them uphill, right? And those I've chased so many elk uphill. I mean, I did it to get mine last year. It's fruitless. Like you just spend so much time chasing them. Um, they're not going to ever turn and come back around to calls usually. And maybe if you're Paul, right? <laughs> not for us. <laughs> and so that's really a, really annoying, um, if you do bump them, you're really blast, like blowing out the country. They're not going to come back. Uh, I find for me, maybe other guys don't struggle with this, but no matter how well you try to plan it or get up early enough, you know, day two or three, you're always a few minutes late. And honestly, those first five to 10 minutes are just so important. Um, and you're like, it's very hard for you to be patient, right? Because if you know you got to go home anyway, it's hard for you just to wait out something or be like, well, I'm just going to camp next to these elk tonight because there's no perfect shot opportunity. I'm just going to, um, you know, come back tomorrow. You're like, well, what if they moved? But if you're backpacking right there, you're like, I can just sit here and watch them the entire time. Right. 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 You can stay on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so that's a huge one. And then the other thing with, so if you're hunting high, what happens is that you're like, it's way, way easier for you to find elk, right? So you're like glassing, you can see them easily. We talked about that versus walking slowly through the dark woods. That's a no duh. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also hunt the elk all day. So if you're the most successful times I've ever had hunting have always been between the hours people tell you you shouldn't hunt from like 10 to four. I have killed, oh, I think all but one elk, three out of four in that mm -hmm. time period. The reason being is that they're not moving anymore. Like you know where they're at. Um, they're moving slowly, right? They're kind of wandering around versus trying to get somewhere. Right. Um, and they're not they're not playing the wind perfectly to their advantage by running into it either way, right? As the thermals go up and down. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're up there camping, you're also in the right spot to make a play on them versus if you're walking uphill, uh, you're trying to get back down to your camp to get your water, to go take a nap, to do whatever. Um, I have all these photos up on the articles. I remember of me just, there'll be times we'll sit watching elk three or 400 yards away for five, six hours, uh, just waiting for the winds to get to the right position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So that's, that's a hell of an advantage to sit there and play the cards right the way you want versus getting forced into one quick opportunity because they're running up the hill at 9 a.m., right? Right. And it's also interesting um, chasing them versus like them already being where they're at, like where they want to be. 
Yeah. And then, like you said, waiting for the wind to play out or waiting for the scenario to work out for you to make yeah. a play instead of like, yeah, you're kind of playing on your terms instead of playing on their terms. Totally. And the, but the reason people don't want to do this is it is really hard. It's effort, <laughs> right? It's like, that's, that's the number one rule in life and elk cutting, I guess. You put in more effort, generally you get luckier. Right? Like, just yeah. Fact. There's but, patience too. Like, the, oh, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh. Like that photo on the blog post of those elk in that little, in that little um, valley. And yeah. you guys, I think you guys waited hours, right? For the wind to get right before oh, you yeah. made a stock. That's generally how we're spending our afternoon watching a group of elk just waiting, right? Sitting there waiting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then nobody likes the patient side of things, but camping up high does have drawbacks. Like you got to bring your water with you and have a water system that can handle multiple liters of water mm-hmm. so you don't run out, right? You've got to find, have a smaller tent that's easy to kind of slap into a tiny little hole in the <laughs> trees because you really don't want to camp on the ridge line. We talked about that mm-hmm. um, from spooking them, but also from when those storms blow in, you get smoked um so it's just hard and you got to hike up there right like I, I think it actually does make life easy because a lot of guys will hike a thousand vertical feet in the morning and then at night and i'm like well i'm just gonna do that once <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right um yeah so anyway uh i get pretty passionate about these things i feel like that one of all the things i've ever done it's just a no-brainer like it really really helps to be you don't even have to be on the very top of the mountain but be at least midway up it mm-hmm. uh because like we did the other time last year when we killed the elk, we were like halfway up the yeah, two that's right. up the way. Yep. You're just right there where they're at, man. It mm-hmm. helps. They were just right across the creek from us. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, I understand that you can't you can't always time it. Like sometimes you chase an elk into a valley. Sometimes you're just day hunting and like it is what it is. But I think there are ways to minimize your presence if you're down low. And we talked a little bit about those, right? Like camping next to a creek because it describes like the noise you got and like the humidity kind of traps your scent. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, that was how I killed that bull two or three years ago. We we're sitting next to the Creek and they didn't hear us or see us. And then they kind of stumbled upon us. Um, so I love being next to creeks. If I've got to be low, um, then moving off to the side of paths, right? Like camping, if you are camping low, just don't camp in the meadow. I've seen this on so many YouTube videos. Guys camp in a meadow where they camp right on the elk track they found. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh man, just move 40, 50 yards up the hill uh, to the side of it so that the thermals going up and down won't switch and go into that area. You know, like camping 200 yards the wrong way could ruin your entire hunt or make right. you a successful hunter. Just pay attention to that. Um, yeah, anyway. so that way you're not right in the middle of an elk highway, right? They're just going to start avoiding that whole area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I'm trying to think if we can paint a picture here. So if you're in a valley with the creek running, you know, the creeks almost always run straight down the valley, right? Mm-hmm. And the valleys, it's like a draw. So it's going, as you go up the valley, it gets steeper and steeper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you What a lot of guys will do is they'll just kind of camp, you know, camp right there on the elk track that goes up the left side of the creek. They'll camp kind of above it or below it. And those thermals, as they switch, they're going to go up that valley. They're going to go down that valley mm-hmm. versus if you go perpendicular, like directly sideways from that Creek and kind of go hundred yards up the, up the mountain there. Now mm-hmm. your thermals, when they go straight up or down, go straight up or down to the side of that Creek. Right. So that, that one move allows the elk to move through there in the night without freaking out. Mm. It allows you to get in on them without them smelling you. It, you know, it's a really, really important thing. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, thinking about where you're putting camp is really important. Dang, that is a chess move of, a, of strategy right there. Yeah. Well, it's actually, I mean, it's not that hard, right? It's like the same thing you have to think about when you're stalking it on them and you're hunting them. It's just to take the forethought to think about that before you drop camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always like to think, where am I dropping camp based on what's the play I'm making tomorrow morning? Right. Am I going, am I going to hike into that you know, creek and go, go for them there? Am I going to be on this glassing point and then drop on them here and here? Mm. I think that's the way to think about it because that setting yourself up for success the next morning is everything you got to do. Interesting. So if you, if you found elk, I, I think this happened to us last year too. Sometimes you find elk late in the evening because they're moving around, but then it gets too dark and they're too far away for you to like, you're just not going to get yep. to them by the time it gets too dark. So then knowing where they are, if they're pretty far away, would you still get a little bit closer to them and then camp up high near where they are? Or would you, what, what would you do? Yeah, no, I'm thinking of that time we did this last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just for guys that hadn't listened to those podcasts, we were up on a, a steep, steep finger ridge looking into a valley and across the valley at like 7.30, 7.45, 45 minutes before dark, we heard one ripping. We could see two there mm-hmm. with a cow if i remember right uh, it's five by five and a big six and the six was bugling um and he was that was probably what a mile and a half but 800 vertical feet down and up yeah uh, to go get him and we were like we can't do that in time uh so yeah i would just stay put i mean if to your point if i could get somewhere closer and i hadn't already set up camp i would probably do it but in that situation there was just no way to get there and, and even if we could have the spot where we could have set up down in the creek would have been the spot elk were likely to be. So I was like, oh, oh I see. Like yeah, they would come down into there at night. Yeah. Yeah. We, did that. Okay. we just remember we hung out and we woke up and sure enough, he was just ripping. They were right there. Ripping off. I mean, if you're, this is the thing you hear from hunters all the time is you can't stay with the elk. They move, but this, that's advice coming from guys that are camping down low. Hmm. It's totally true to those guys. The elk move every day. So when you wake up, they're not always there because the elk we'll go down into another basin the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. But elk almost always where they, where they're bedding, they're not going to be in the same place in the night, in the morning, in the evening, mm-hmm. at least I've found, right. It might be different other areas, but if I put an elk to bed in a certain area, like I know where his bedding spot was before he went down for the evening, he's going to yeah. probably be there the next day coming up. Right. Going back and then yeah. crossing over or something like that. They, their bedding areas are very consistent. Where they go from the bedding area isn't. So if you're uh, camping up high near the bedding area, the odds are he's going to be there the next morning. Got it. Got it. Yeah, because the next morning, he, they must have gone down and then fed all night and then yeah. gone back up the next morning. And then that's yeah. when we saw them and then they went up and over into the whole next valley. Yeah. So if yeah. we're camped, that's a perfect example. If we're camped down low, we heard a bull here last night. Like, oh, sweet. But he was really hard because he just came down and it got dark before we could make a play. Mm-hmm. And the next morning we wake up and maybe he went down another way. So he's not there. Or if we see him now, we're trying to chase him up 2000 vertical right, feet right. with the wind in his favor. We can't get in front of him. We make a ton of noise following him through the deadfall versus mm-hmm. we were camped up high. We saw him the night before. We don't care where he went over at the, you know, in the morning. Cause we know he's coming back. Sure enough, you know, nine, nine 30, he came back right to that same spot. Yeah. Then we come in sideways and make a play. Right. Um, and so, Again, I'm setting myself up to make plays between 10 to three or four, uh, which is when people tell you not to hunt elk, but that's, that's really, a, I don't know, for me, at least that works really well. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's bringing back the memories, the lessons, they, the, 
those experiences just keep teaching me. <laughs> yeah. Let's well, revisiting them and like analyzing them. Yeah. I think it's, I should probably stop talking about other podcasts we've recorded and we're going to release and all this stuff. But I think it's like with talking to Paul about elk calling, you know, when you, he could have said the exact same thing three years ago. But when I heard it this time, I was like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. That exact situation. I've done that. I've done that. Oh, that's what happened there. Like, and that's why I think this is a great little mini series is you get to recap the things and you learn from them every year, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how experienced you are, just like hearing this stuff and talking it through is really helpful every year. Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely making me question like last year, man, did I, did I camp in the right spots? I don't know if I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the only one way to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where to camp. So that's kind of the strategy side of things, right? Like how do you find them and where are you going to be to make the macro plays? Yeah. So that's like the cerebral thinking man's thing of like, you know, got to find those elk, like find the elk quick and then camp in the right spot. And like half the battle is won. You now are going to have a ton of, if you've done those two things, you're going to have a ton of good opportunities, which is what matters. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now if you found the elk, you camped in the right spots. If you know where they're at, now's the hard part. Yep. This is, this is where elk hunting gets hard. Um, man, this, I love what looking at these photos every time. I'm just like these elk through the trees it gets me fired up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, we've, this of all the things we always beat fitness over the head, but I feel like the wind, like you just can't talk about the wind enough. So we'll just talk for 30 seconds and just leave it. Cause if I could have an entire episode of how to get close to elk, all I would say is wind, 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 wind. <laughs> um, that's everything like your scentless stuff, your scent lock clothing or whatever, isn't going to do jack crud. Uh, you can be stinky as heck because if you don't stay down wind, nothing's going to save you. Yeah. They say, uh, you can trick their eyes, right. With the, with the camo that you're wearing and all that stuff, you can trick their ears sometimes, you know, the way you call and when you're walking around elk make a lot of noise, but yeah. you just can't ever trick their nose. Huh? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah. It's really about fooling their senses to get close to them. Right. So right. Windows untouchable untouchable i that one of the best pieces of gear setup i've got is that little micro wind checker in the side pocket of the bino harness because it takes me like half a second to pull that out and check the wind which if you have that thing that's a key to success so yeah you are constantly constantly using that wind checker i go through like one of those a season (laughs) guys that have theirs for like 10 seasons they know those things take forever um that's just even when i don't see elk when i'm just walking randomly i'm constantly just puffing that little thing Mm-hmm. yeah so that's we won't beat that one over the head that's just that's not even my opinion a lot of these things are the way i hunt the way i like that's just fact <laughs> lock it in stone we're moving on um but noise i think this one is one where i i really don't think noise matters to elk at all um, until you're really close to them obviously but i mean you saw this last year remember that spike in that cow we literally ran oh through. my gosh yeah. yeah physically running crunching popping smashing through the breath like doesn't matter if they're not like if they think you're an elk from sounds or they're just not worried about what you are they don't they could care less mm-hmm. and so it's I've natural been, sounds right natural long, sounds. Yeah. yeah 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 it's not like you know your, your arrow clanking against your riser or like squeaking of a pack or it's like a your zipper yeah yeah it's just things crushing um and they do i think they can sense the cadence of which we walk if you're just kind of walking consistently mm-hmm so I kind of like to vary my speed and stop huh. a lot because if you are just boom, 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 elk don't, well, let me give you an example. When I, you now know the difference between a, when a mule deer runs and an elk runs, right? 
Yeah, the mule deer has a boing, boing. Yeah, you hear that like versus the elk is more like to use some great sounds. So if you can tell that instantly and you're hearing, they can tell that, no doubt. Right. Instantly. So I do think they can hear you walking along. But anyway, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of times I've run from four or 500 yards out to within about 100 yards and then stopped and they don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're making like a little cow noise or they just are not, they've never seen you. So closing the distance, I think that's actually a really good tactic is to move super fast. It's like the hunting and scouting thing. Know when you're scouting, know when you're hunting. The other one is know when you're closing the distance and know when you're trying to take a shot. Because if you're truly closing the distance, which in my mind is, you know, 2000 to 100 yards, like you can be absurdly loud um, if you're doing it the right way. Yeah. It's when you're hunting under hundred yards, you need to be dead quiet. Right. Yeah. We'll have to put that video on Instagram or something. Cause that one with that spike and that cow, we were literally running, like just moving straight at him, making some cow calls yeah. every now and then I stayed. And right we were in the open <laughs> for a part a of that dark, running down a scree slope, literally dude. down a scree slope, starting avalanches. And again, if they had, they'd heard the noises, they couldn't quite resolve what we were cause it was getting dark. Mm-hmm. They were totally fine with it. We got, we could have killed both of those. It's crazy. Um, 40 yards, you know, no big deal. We went from what, probably half a mile to 40 yards in about three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. It was a full out sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Motion and outline like that, that does matter. I think they, um, I feel like these are such basics, but it's just worth repeating. Cause again, like the wind, like if you're dead still, it an elk cannot see you. It's like a T-Rex in Jurassic Park, you know, they mm-hmm. can't. Like you, you got to be totally have the confidence to be totally still because the T-Rex doesn't eat you. It's the second you twitch, you're done. It's the same with an elk. Like I've, I've had elk come into 10, 15 yards, stare straight at me, like literally straight at me for like a minute and then put their head down and keep feeding. It's like, if you don't, if you don't move, you're fine. I'm talking like yeah. that an eyelid, like anything. That's when you're close, right? Yeah. Super yeah. close. But or if they know you're there, like they're looking. Yeah, exactly. So when it, from running, you know, from moving in, get, closing the distance, like the, the most important thing is breaking up outline and your motion, right? Movement, because you don't want to you know, run across an open meadow if they can see you or duh, right? All duh. But I think you can move stupid fast if they can't see you and don't mm-hmm. worry about the sound. Um, but if you are moving in on them, like the number one thing for me was, we'll talk about this in making the shot here in a second. The number one thing was making, thinking about what's behind you instead of what's ahead of you. That's the biggest mistake I made. I think a lot of people make is they think more about like, am I behind something? Right. You know, elk are used to stuff, stocking up behind things to, you know, to get them and they can still see motion. Like if you're looking through a Christmas tree, you can still see someone behind it. You can see the little gaps filling in, right? Mm -hmm. Just that little like white to black of the gap filling in is enough for them to pick up motion. We talked about their eyeball before. It's very different, right? It's they're going to pick it up like that. Um, so I think, but making sure you're in front of something breaks up your outline. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are, uh, if you are like they look up and you need to freeze, you're there and you're also in a spot where you can take a shot. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, and the most extreme version of that outline is skylining yourself, right? Like if yeah. you're on top of a ridge and behind you is all white and you're like, or the sky, and then you're walking, they're going to yeah. be able to spot you and point you out immediately. But then Instantly. if you're, if you're on a skyline where that ridge is just thick trees behind you, yeah, 
and you walk across and they're not going to really be able to tell, especially if you're moving slow enough and careful. It's astounding. I mean, it's really, it, it's like I said, it's outline, right? But if they, there's been times I've come over a ridge and a mile off, they start running. And mm-hmm. I just realized, oh, I thought I was behind this thing, but I wasn't or in front of, you know, they get a good glimpse of your outline. Um, it's staggering. I mean, I've been bird hunting, upland hunting, where you can look a mile up and see a bird the size of like a pumpkin on the top of a, you know, not a pumpkin or whatever, whatever size the chucker is, but <laughs> it's a very small pumpkin, but you can see it on top of the rim rock with your bare mm-hmm. eyes. And you know, like that's, that's a mile away with a tiny bird. How much less with a human are you like, boom, instantly that's a human, right? Yeah. They can, so yeah, skylining is big. Um, so that's kind of the, the mechanics of it. You know, we talked, I talk a little bit about calling elk. I feel like I <laughs> just say, go listen to Paul's episode when we put that up, but I don't know. Like, like, give me your thoughts on this, but my general take on calling is like, unless you really know what you're doing, don't call much. <laughs> like you're, unless you're sure you're saying the right thing or you're doing um, something Unless you know what you're saying, I wouldn't be saying anything. Right, <laughs> right, right. That's a really good way to say it. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you yeah. just don't want to be in the wrong situation. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know a good analogy for this, but yeah, well, it'd be like if you didn't know how to speak, uh, or I don't know if you knew like another the language, language or something, or something yeah. like that, and you're just going to another country saying some crazy stuff. Your friend, like yeah. maybe your friend taught you a bunch of words and you don't know what they mean and you go to another yeah. you don't want to just start spitting them out at the bar or whatever like you yeah. might be saying something super offensive or it's just not going to be fitting yeah. the situation versus if you don't say anything and kind of smile you could probably walk right up to the girl at the bar and <laughs> laugh you yet so now you're within striking distance anyway bad analogy <laughs> but, <laughs> but, i mean it's i just feel like i've heard so many guys that's my number one I keep saying number one. It's the only way I could ever tell if someone's an elk or not an elk is that they bugle the same way every time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, hunter, right? And I feel like so many guys, every time I hear a hunter, they're always just like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> like the same thing over every two or three minutes. And like, if I can figure that out, an elk is gone. Right. Um, so I generally would, that's my advice on calling to like get close to elk is unless you know what you're doing, don't do it. And, uh, yeah, just go listen and take a look at Paul's stuff if you really want to call. Um, I've had good luck just cow calling because um, it's harder to screw that up. But right anyway, uh, and then for guys that if you're trying to close the distance to something and you can't really call that well, the rake we talked a little about that. Um, that's worked really really well for me. You got it. You have to call like Paul said. You have to call some just so they make sure it's a uh, an elk first before you rake, but. Um, even if you're using that single way, you just bugle once and then you rake uh, mm-hmm. and they come ripping in if they're in the right mood. But again, right. it's, you got to be sure of what you're saying to them. Yeah. Right? Like, as he said, it's like, just, you know, show me yourself. Right. Um, is that the right thing to say? <laughs> right. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about calling is that he said this too, but I, this is all the ones that surprised me when you're blind calling or you're just generally calling, like always wait 45 minutes. Uh, cause that's all the, almost all the elk I've had come in. I say almost cause last year it didn't work that way, but they always come in that like 45 to 60 minute mark. And it made me so sad because I realized so many times I like moved at like 15, 30 minutes and they, it's, it's really blows me away. You can be sitting in the same spot and you get stopped calling 30 minutes ago. This happened to me a lot. I call for 15 minutes, I ate lunch 
and a cow or a bull come walk, comes walking in and looks at the exact spot you called from. Mm-hmm. And maybe you move 10 feet, but he's looking 10 feet to your right. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes later, it's astounding. I mean, he must've been half a mile away, uh, but they know exactly where you called from. And they're just, sometimes they're just meandering in. It's insane. Uh, it's like that cow that walked right up to us last year. Yeah, literally. We were, yeah, we were standing right in the sun, but behind us was all dirt. It was, you know, the side of the mountain. Yeah. And we just stayed completely still. And that cow just came panting in, looking straight at us, looking around for us. Wind yep. was in our favor. It got super close. It couldn't tell we were there at all. And eventually just walked yeah. off. Yeah. That's, I forgot about that. That's a great example. She was, she was, I think we ranged her at like 400 yards, something like that. Yeah. She was way at the bottom and she came yeah. all the way up. She's like us. three or 400 feet below us. And, you know, 400 yards away and she came from that straight to where we were, we were in the wide open remember that mm-hmm. totally wide open we were on a steep hill so like you said we had the hill behind us we had good back yeah and she came what to like under 20 yards and looked at super us super close two or three it times was, it was so cool and didn't spook just walked right around us you could have killed yeah. that you could have killed that cow like three <laughs> times <laughs> um yeah but that took a while right it wasn't like she jumped on it so mm-hmm. yeah so i'll leave the i'll leave the calling stuff for the other episode um what else in here josh should we talk about i mean this problem yeah i want to talk for like four hours on these little tactics but there is there is the one that i think you're the best at um which is stalking like that's like your style or has been your style that has Um, been historically yeah yeah maybe there's a couple tips there you want to share that you think are maybe unique or or stand out yeah i mean i think like you said people don't want to be patient um it's impossible to be too patient if you're within that hundred yard mark, right? Like we talked about, you can run to get there, but once you're there, it, you just, I can't say it enough. There's been so many times, even after an hour and a half stock, I've been like, I'm just going to push it a little bit. And then it blows them out. And it's like, ah, so that's my biggest advice. That's pretty generic. Other than that, I would always say come in sideways, like way, way. So let me back up here. What is sideways? When an elk's bugling, you know where it's at and your instinct is go straight at it, right? And so the elk is used to that. Every predator that's going to try to kill it or threaten it is going to come straight at it. Versus if you're another elk or something else that's non-threatening, if you're kind of walking parallel to where it is. So if I see an elk straight ahead of me, I walk You know, at 12 o'clock, I walk at three o'clock. So I kind of walk like off to the side of it. So it looks like I'm heading for something else, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to cross near it that goes so much better when you're stalking because even if they do hear you or kind of see something um, and you freeze instantly, they're not that worried because they're not like, Hey, I looked up and I saw this thing in a line and I looked up 10 minutes later and there's, it's closer in that line. They're like, that makes them really nervous versus if they kind of see something, there's a ton of other elk around milling through the trees. They're kind of just like, okay. So coming in, not directly at things it's tempting because you're like let's close the distance fastest it's like no like it might close the distance five yards sooner but if you're coming in beside them you're still going to be within 40 50 yards really quick right so it's kind of like don't approach them head on (laughs) go at it like an angle a little bit yeah yeah and i always try to think about it like what's my what's the best side of my body to shoot over where's the wind going there's a lot Mm -hmm. of factors where the other elk but it's almost never the right answer to go straight at them. Um, it, it works sometimes if it's the right conditions, but I always try to like sneak around the side of them. Yeah. Um, they're not, they're not as worried about that. 
Interesting. Oh, I had one situation last year. I just went straight. I didn't even think about this one last year. I went straight at him and then all the cows that were way in front of him spooked mm-hmm. before I even got there. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. First, if you step back and go, okay, the cows are here, the wind's here. They're probably going to move this way. That means I should go over there. Yeah. It's now like I know exactly. to where the puck is going yeah. right? versus where the puck is. Right. Uh, right. Especially if you're hunting the morning and the evening when they're, when they're moving. Yeah. It was uh, in the evening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for playing along there, Josh. Very good. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> no I know exactly the situation. Now I know exactly yeah. what I should have done instead. I should have went higher around where they were and mm-hmm. then dropped in on them instead of just going down and right up chasing them. Yeah. yeah. The worst position in elk hunting is following behind elk. You are screwed. Like you cannot get, you will never get a shot because they're almost never going to stop and turn and look at you or get within range. Right. Unless you're crazy like us and we just chased them (laughs) straight up. So yeah, I mean, this one's not a hard and fast rule. There's definitely times it's fine to just go straight in, but if you're stalking, like a true stock where Mm -hmm. they're, you know, you're trying to surprise them. I think that's right. 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 That's good. And then, um, smooth is fast. Like I think it's, we talked about movement, like running and stuff, but, uh, you said it really, really well last year. I think this was you, right. But you were, you said the, the speed at which, the, r- the right speed for stalking is a speed at which you can stop even with your foot in the air and not move, right? Oh, yeah. I think you were you were showing me an example of that because sometimes they look at you and then yep. you're like, if you're mid-step, you might, you'll just crash down into your step yep. if, you're, if you're stepping too big or too wide apart. Yeah. I think we were, we were showing it. I was showing you this like in the woods last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, at the range. And it was like, that's the speed at which I stalk. Right. And that is a astoundingly st- slow speed for most folks, but that's the speed because... That way you can literally, if you got your eyes watching them the entire time, the second they look up, you just don't move mm-hmm. and you're fine. They're not going to freak out, especially if you're not, you know, if you got stuff behind you and you're not moving right at them. So, right. Right. Yeah. So, so you, you basically you're taking really small steps. Totally. <laughs> and this is actually where I think footwear, the, your choice in footwear does play. Um, I never take off, man, elk hunting, taking off your boots. Ooh. I think, have you ever done that elk hunting? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, it never goes well. Like, I understand why guys do it for mule deer because they're bedded and, like, you know, they're not going to move. But mm-hmm. the worst thing on the planet you could do is take off boots or your pack elk hunting because the elk are always going to move. Um, oh, I did take off my yeah. pack once and I definitely regretted it. Regretted it. I, yeah. I had to go a long way. <laughs> you chase them, you chase them for a little bit and then you get into this horrible conundrum of, yeah. oh, should I stop and go back for my pack or should I? You know, then a mile go later, on. you're like, oh, yeah. should I stop and go back? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't ever take off your boots is what I'm trying to say. So mm-hmm. it actually, this is probably the only reason I'd ever wear a less supportive bear boots. You do get better um, proprioception, I think is the right term. Your ability to feel where your feet oh. are and what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so you just got to be, you got to know your boots. So if you're, that's why, again, if you're hiking or you're doing going to the archer range or like just messing around. I'm always a big advocate for wearing your elk hunting boots. Cause you just get used to even, Hey, this part of the sole is really stiff. It's going to probably crack that branch instantly versus I can kind of lean on it a little bit with the softer right. front part. And right. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. All the little nuances there. Yeah. That sounds really anal, but that's, I mean, that's the difference between getting something or not. Um, yeah. And then ambushing, we talked about that a little bit. Um, we just hit that real quick, but I think with ambushing, it's thinking about where the elk, elk always move 
places with everything in their favor, right? They move straight into the wind. They move somewhere that doesn't go next to really thick brush a predator can jump out of. They move um, always upwind at the right time. Like they just, they do every, they play all the odds in their favor instinctively, right? That's just what they know. Mm-hmm. But these places, I call them the, what, the broken links. There's always these spots. Like for example, if you're going up a Creek Valley, I've had this happen. If those elk are walking straight up the creek, right next to it, there's relatively open hillsides and the wind's coming straight at them. You you can't touch them, right? You can't walk even in sideways to them because they'll see you coming down the hill. If you're remotely close to shot range, they're probably going to smell you coming up towards you. Like the, But that's why they do that. They know that anything in front of them or to the side of them, they're going to see or, or smell. But if there was a giant hundred foot tree that fell across that Creek and in that one little area, they have to go sideways to the wind up the hill, 50 yards to come around it and then drop back down to the Creek. That's your spot, right? You are, mm-hmm. if you go sit up the hill from that, where they go around that thing, when they're coming from below, they're not going to smell you. Cause now you're like a hundred yards to their left, not 50. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the second they come around that tree, boom, game over. So you can, that's, that's a like the best example I can think of that's cut and dry, but basically when you're ambushing, picking the spot is super important uh, because if you, it's literally impossible to ambush elk in a lot of the spots I've seen guys set up all these, so many YouTube videos and they set up at a wall or other things. I'm like, that's it. I just start skipping ahead. Cause I'm like, you're not touching an elk. And every now and then you see elk freak out and run, but you never see them shoot someone. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've, I've found a broken link yet in the or a recognized one yet, but I'll have to pay attention to like how a trail looks and then if they're forced to have to make a move to go yep. a certain direction. Yeah, like it's almost like if there was like a wall there and now they got to like yeah. turn left or something, but yeah. Uh, interesting. And there's I'll other like areas, right? Like saddles, right? When they come over a saddle, they can't see over it. Oh. They have to make a bet. There, you, you'll notice the elk... The perfect way to find a broken link is just watch the elk moving. Like if you watch them come up from the valley in the morning, mm-hmm. you'll see they get really skittish around one little area. And that's because they know this is the area that they don't have everything perfect. Huh. They get twitchy. They kind of all stall and they look around and then they kind of run real quick or they jump or they, you know, they know, they know when they're not, they don't have things to their advantage. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's a uh, ridge is a good example. I'm trying to think of others. Um, when they have to go across a Creek, when they're moving 90 degrees to it, right. Cause that's, it's, they go into this depression, mm-hmm. right. It's kind of like a, they have to drop out of sight. Like they can't see into that little dip oh, before yeah, they yeah, get yeah. there. And so into you'll the notice yeah. they always kind of slowly walk up to that edge and stop and kind of look around and they like run through the Creek real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, same perfect example of a spot. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, those are the three that come to mind. Uh, open areas sometimes they have to cross an open area to get from timber to timber mm-hmm. and there's just no way to stay in the timber the whole way so they'll kind of run across that little opening mm-hmm. uh, but you can kind of you know set yourself up on the the front part because you know they're going to get there and stop and so there's little things like that right yeah 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 um, good things to look for um, if you're ambushing i'm also a big fan of getting there midday right because if you move into into place in the evening we talked about how they always play it with the wind in their favor. It's really, really hard to get set up before they smell or see you. So I'm mm. like, if you're going to just ambush stuff, get in there at like noon yeah, um, or be backpacking there in the morning. 
Um, and then this one, we talked about this last year, right? Stopping every five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So then you could listen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or look around. Yeah. Cause if you're moving all the time, it's hard to hear sometimes. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, the elk first and second year I killed elk. Um, I both times and the third year when I almost killed one, but didn't the first day out was you're walking along first year. I stopped at a saddle and just sat down. Cause I was kind of like frustrated and heard one right there. Second year, we stopped at a wallow, heard one hundred yards away. Third year, my sister was going to the bathroom and I stopped. And while we were stopped, I heard a faint bugle over a little ridge. Um, mm. But elk bugles, there's like very different levels of intensity. And there's a ton of bugles they do that are so soft, they only travel like a few hundred yards. Right. And you'll never hear that even if you're walking super slow. Mm-hmm. And then even if they are bugling really loud, if they're like a mile away, again, you won't hear it. Um, and again, we've talked about the pace. If you vary your footsteps, yada, yada, yada. So I, I don't know. I always stop like every five minutes if I can. Yeah. Or less. Every, you've seen me sometimes. I'm stopping like every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The little stops, even if it's just for a quick pause. Yeah. 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 But it's just, it's whoever hears or sees the other person first. That's the game. So if you're constant, if you're moving, it's impossible to see movement or hear sound. Like fact, your brain just doesn't see movement yeah. as well if you're moving. So. Mm-hmm. That's that is truly the game. You got to be the one that finds it first. Yeah, and so those are the three kind of general tactics, right? There's stalking, the calling, and then the ambushing. Mm-hmm. Um, the part that I haven't gotten to do, yet, well, I guess I got to do it in Hawaii, but um, yeah, it was. I had really good situations. I haven't gotten to do it on an elk yet. Uh, is draw the bow and like yeah. make this shot happen, especially in in thick timber like elk country yeah um so i think that'll for me this fall that's like that'll be the test is well i mean of course it'll be the test to locate them and actually like stock in to get close that'll yeah that'll still be very difficult but i think the steepest part of that learning curve for me like like the biggest challenge i'll have is making that shot happen yeah um or using those techniques you talk about like the doorway yeah uh, the doorway so positioning yourself or when to draw yeah um yeah you want to cover a couple of those items yeah we probably wrap on this one because the butchering and all that other stuff like guys can just read that if they want to cool uh we've got some good tips there but yeah and i think this one was one that i used to listen to all these different podcasts and other things you'd always get guys that really knew what they were doing have been doing this for 10 20 30 years um very few people have been doing true backcountry stuff for more than 10, 15, 20, maybe, but you get what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they always would get really nervous or they'd kind of take their time to answer this question. And you know, like the elk, when there's nervousness, there's something good there. Uh, but there is really an art to uh, making the shot happen. I think the reason those guys got nervous is they don't want to make it sound like they're taking irresponsible shots or they want to do wrong things. But more than any other form of bow hunting I've seen elk hunting is all about like making shots happen uh, because it's not like a tree stand. You don't have a perfect setup. It's not like stalking a mule deer where you know where they are and you're just, you're thinking about how you're going to shoot the entire time. The elk are changing. They're coming in, they're doing funky things. Even if you see them coming down a trail, they might swerve at the last minute. Uh, you really, really have to make the shot happen. And a lot of that is about like 
like we've talked about practicing the right way, like after you draw, stepping through your four feet to the right and pulling the trigger or like slowly raising up from your knees and a lot of little funky tactics like that. Mm -hmm. But I think where you start is the most important part. Um, and that's the the doorway concept. I think I have to give credit to Paul for this. I mean, I, in the article I say that, I think I remember him being the first one, first one to say this. And when he said it at the time, I was like, oh, click, instant because I've been spearfishing for about 20 years and this is the same concept, which is the doorway, you walk into a room, right? There's a doorway. You hear an evil clown laugh <laughs> in that room <laughs> or something really weird. You don't walk into the middle of the room and go, where's the clown? <laughs> mm -hmm. You like peek around the edge of the doorway, right? Mm -hmm. So naturally, instinctively, you go to the first, the furthest away spot, you can see the location you're interested in. Right. That makes sense, which is the doorway. It's the little opening. Mm -hmm. Elk are the exact same way. It's just a lot more complex in the woods, but they're always going to come to the, the, fir like the first spot they can see your location and stop. Right. This is especially, especially important if you're calling, right? Like if you're calling in the middle of a little hollow of trees, you're never going to get a shot because the elk will always come to like the third or fourth ring of trees back to where they first can see into the meadow and stop and they're always yeah. going to go behind a tree and look through the tree like they're not right. dumb um and so and even if they're not they don't know you're there they're instinctually doing this they this is why i was talking about stopping a minute ago if you watch an elk walk through the woods you sit up on a ridge sometime they always walk about you know 10 even 20 feet stop look so what they're doing is they're getting from doorway to doorway and they're stopping they're looking like they got to do that their entire life or they get eaten right <laughs> like it's a bad reality, but like mm -hmm. that's, if they're at that level, you have to match it. Um, so all that to say, like when you're setting up to shoot one, the most important thing to think about is like, where's the elk coming from and what's it doing and where, where's the doorway? Where's the first place? Like a really good illustration of a doorway might be a little rise and they're going to come over the rise. They're going to, and you called in the, in the little meadow on the other side, they're going to stop the second their two eyes get above that rise turns out you can't shoot them in the eyes. So <laughs> you're screwed. But if you think about that and you're always oh, coming from that way, he's going to stop the second he gets there. You can run up and get kind of just below the top of that rise. So by the time he can see into that meadow, uh, he's, you can see the rest of his body. Right. That makes sense. Right. right. Yeah. And that picture on the website, uh, I'll link it in the description is perfect. It almost looks like a, a huge 80 yard hallway. Yeah. And the elk, first opening could see you at like 80 yards yeah uh, and so that was like a really good example and you draw it all out and so yeah um yeah and that's it's really this is like an art form um because there are you know every 100 yards you walk in the woods you might walk in and out of three different rooms quote unquote right and that that picture is a perfect example there's actually not in that photo, but that was where I was standing when that giant six point was walking out my first time elk hunting I didn't take mm -hmm. the shot on um, but again, that's a room and he was looking into it and I was in the middle of it. So right. not good. Right. Uh, so whenever you're moving through the woods, I think there's a real, especially now when you're hunting, you know, there's elk in the area and you're moving really slow setting up so that you are not in the middle or the back of a room, but you're on, uh, you're on the transition area, or at least you're within bow range of it. Do mm -hmm. so you find the doorway into that room? the room's almost always circular, right? But you know generally which direction the elk are coming from. 
and you think, okay, so where's he going to stop? Where's the doorway? Like, where's the first spot he's going to stop and look into this area? Okay, so how do I get within an area that I've got a clear lane and a bow range shot to that spot? Yeah. And that, that more than anything, tactically will get elk. Because if you do it right, they're also going to walk up to that spot and look into that room. And if you're off to the side, they're not looking at you. So you've got plenty of room to draw and make it happen. Yeah. And I think we did an entire episode on this one. It's, it's that step of, oh, it's like, yep. it's almost as, it's like, it's almost like as strategic as picking the camping spot yep. but in the micro moment of like setting up to actually make the final shot happen. Yeah. Oh I feel like archery is a hundred percent about being able to keep your head in a situation where like you want to explode. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So like freaked out and fired up, mm-hmm. uh, but taking that it feels like an eternity. It feels like two minutes, but it might even be five seconds just to step back and go, okay, okay, where do I need to get to right now right. before it gets here? And like either, you know, running over there real quick or setting up, uh, that's make or break. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's where I got lucky with the one last year, right? I set up well for him coming down the mountain. You know, he was coming down the side there and timber was so thick. He had to come into that, the opening on the side of the Creek mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where I was. And, uh, he couldn't see out there until about the point he rounded that corner. And I was right. 20 yards away when he did. Um, and I don't, I don't think I really even thought that through because it all happened so fast. I'd just mm-hmm. been doing that for years that I kind of, when I knew he was coming, I like ran up another 10 feet and just got in that spot. Right, right, right. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Crazy. Um, being where they want to go. We talked about that. Like, yeah, and being able to anticipate where the elk are trying to get to, and like thinking about, is he coming in because of the call? Or are they going to this feature? And this is why I think it's so important to know an area well. It's because if you're in an area, you're like, you have the ability to see through mountains, right? You're in mm-hmm. a valley and you go, I know there's a meadow on the other side of that ridge, 300 yards up from me. And the elk's coming straight at you and you're like, okay, he's going to veer to the left because on the right side, it's a bunch of rocks and there's not many elk trails up there. He doesn't want to be there, but I know that there's a nice juicy meadow with the wallow over there. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, when he gets to this bottom, he's going to veer left and head that way. And that guys are probably going, what? But no, that, that makes the difference, right? Cause you now know in a 50, 50 chance, you're now like no hundred percent odds. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Dane, talk, Dane, talk about like planning for where the puck is going and not where it's at. That is, yeah, that is hard. Yeah. No, we do this a lot with the, the area we hunt um, back up at the wallow. Like we talked about, we know that they, you know, this is another great suggestion is whenever you find elk sign and you're going to hunt that area, ambush it, or even just walk around in there or call, they follow those trails back three or 400 yards, right? like walk down them and then turn around and walk back to where you were oh, I see. because now you know where they're coming from and where they bedded. And if you know kind of where that was, you know, the other ways they might be coming from that area. And if they're headed that direction, where are they going? Like where do those trails point? Right. They generally try to head in a straight line, even if they have to weave to do it. So you Interesting. have a lot of knowledge versus just sitting on a trail. You're not really sure where they're coming from and why you now know like general vicinity and their intended goal. Right. Okay. So you go, go like, put your like act like the elk and like yep. walk their path and see yep. and try to guess what they would do yeah and you might notice it branches in three different areas right before it gets to you mm-hmm. you're like oh crud i should really move up three or four hundred yards um, right we we're doing that last year we we're hunting down near the wall that we're at 
if you go up the hill, you actually notice there's four or five trails that split right there. Mm. So some of them were coming to the wall, some were cutting off the top part of the valley, some were going uh-huh. straight across it. And I was like, well, you're an idiot. You just, you reduced your chances by 30 or 66% by sitting on the one right. way. Right, right. Uh, so oh, interesting. where they're going and why is really, really helpful. Yeah, man, there are levels to this. I remember the first time I saw it, like I could recognize a game trail. I was like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. a game trail. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You get excited and you want to sit right in that one one. But it's like, well, <laughs> what happens if there were five game trails right. right up the way that all came into one mega game trail? Right, right. Where do you want to sit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even more important, like if an elk is coming down that, you now know the angle at which they're going to come down it and which where you need to be positioned to get a good broadside shot and all these right, things. Right, right. So... I'm always walking at least a hundred yards up something before I turn around. Interesting. Uh, downwind side. Uh, I mean, the elk almost always come in. Uh, this is like the old school advice, right? Elk come in from the downwind side. If they're unsure, you know, if you got a coin and you're going to toss it, yeah, go with the downwind side. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Cause if you're looking, hopefully if you're looking upwind, hopefully <laughs> mm-hmm. they're probably, but it's like quartering towards you. They're probably going to come in on the side that it's blowing towards uh, generally. So that's a good, coin flip blowing towards as in the wind blowing more towards them right yeah so if you're lo- like, you're looking at 12 o'clock and the wind's coming from three o'clock for example yeah that elk is probably gonna come in from the left right right because right. they want to smell yeah yeah he's gonna try to get to what would that be six o'clock right right or, sorry nine o'clock uh, nine, try to get to the opposite o'clock. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they can smell Right. Oh, I screwed up on the earlier example. I should have said 130, not three. Three is like to the right, but whatever. <laughs> Hopefully people got it. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're basically trying to use the wind to their their advantage at all times. Yeah. 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 We talked about you know, making sure something's behind you. I think picking your lanes is super important. Just think through your shots. Uh, stopping an elk, they always take a step or two after you make the noise. So, you know, always think about is your window big enough to shoot them? Or if you are going to stop them, actually making that noise while they're behind the tree before they get into the window. So they stop oh, yeah. in the window. Right. Because um, they're not going to stop instantly. Right. Yeah. So if you stop them in a 10-foot window, they might have walked behind. They might take two steps and stop behind the tree. Right. Um, yeah. Foot placement. Man, this is really detailed. It's hard to pull. Let's, let's hit the little ones and we'll be done. But mm-hmm. the biggest way to screw up as we talked about you just can't move like limiting your movement is super important setting up so that you don't have to move when they come in um yeah because you can make a lot of conscious decisions beforehand that make that work and one of them is setting up your feet in the right way if you're a left or right-handed archer you only have about 90 degrees of 360 degrees at which you can move whenever you stop moving or shoot whenever you stop moving. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah you can only twist so much. You can only twist so much. <laughs> and so if you set up in a way that your feet aren't pointed in that that elk isn't in 45 degrees of that 90 degree window, mm-hmm. that means you're going to have to twist. And what happens when you twist? You move. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they might freak out and run around. And I see this. I've seen this a lot on YouTube videos, actually. Guys draw and they're waiting for the elk to come in and the guy videoing them, they're like pointing to the right and the elk comes in from their left and they've got to like literally turn. They like turn really quick and the elk just freaks out and runs. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, <laughs> if you've been pointing at where the elk was, that'd be a dead elk. Um, right, right. Which is also part of like knowing where they want to go. Oh uh, man, so easy to screw yeah, up. You can set up, so easy, but you just up. turned the wrong, facing the wrong way. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. The other one is when an elk's coming in. So my sequence, it's like my shot sequence. I've got my like setup sequence 
you know, I run, find the doorway. I run over to where I'm at. I've got my lanes. I range uh, all my different spots. You know, everyone does that, right? Like range 20, 30, 40, right? Number one reason. Number one reason people miss elk is archer or uh, range miscalculation. Oh, yeah. I talked about this. So I remember I, I built the Excel spreadsheet of all the reasons people miss and YouTube videos. And I stopped, I think I stopped doing it at like video 100 or something like that because it was just so overwhelmingly they didn't range it and they shot over or under it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you absolutely have to range unless you're 100, you're 100% sure it's under 30 yards. Right. Anyway, th- all that aside, then the next thing I do is I clear the ground around my feet. So I look down and I kind of sh- like, you know, like you're a dog right after it takes a pee or something. It's kind of pushing that grass around. I take my feet and I'm kicking the branches and the leaves and the other things away from my feet where I'm standing. Because if I do need to move or slightly move you know, two feet to the left, one foot to the right or twist, often what happens is you've run into an area, you've stopped, you've made the crunch and it's good. But then the second you move, everything around you is like snap, crackle, pop. Uh, yeah. Right? So I've made this perfect little like three by three circle that I can run around in and not make noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, if I have time, that's, that's part number three of my sequence. Then I've got this oh, beautiful, crazy. beautiful little circle um, to kind of dance around in without making noise. Cause noise under 50 yards is suicide. <laughs> yeah. 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 Done. Dang. That's crazy. I totally forgot about that one too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's but a- it, but again, like oh. these things sound so detailed and so nitpicky, but like that's the difference between killing an elk or not, right? It's, you know, if he comes in, he ran a little bit to the right of where he thought he was going to go. And he's mm-hmm. now stopped behind the tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that one I shot off my butt the other year, the ability to kind of move a foot or two to the left or right and find that little window. That's making the shot happen, right? It's yeah. the amount of times, the, the amount of times you hear guys say, oh, it's just bad luck. He just stopped behind that tree or he stopped behind that bush or he did this and that and the other. Um, it's really easy for you to be reactive and passive and believe that was just the way it happened. And that was the elk's fault when, and I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to act like I know it all. Cause I do not, but I mean, I can look at a lot of these YouTube videos and be like, no man, if you'd just done this, if you'd moved over five feet, cause you knew that lane was there. If you'd cleared your feet, if you'd been pointing the way he was coming, you would have killed that elk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's so sad when all the money, the time, the effort, the hiking, the picking the right spot, finding the elk, doing all that stuff is totally worthless because you didn't like kick a stick to the left with your foot. Oh, <laughs> that's the reality of elk hunting. It's a <laughs> yeah. game of inches, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the little tiny, tiny stinking things. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of the advice on the shot sequence. I mean, there's a lot of other things there i mean maybe we talk shot placement and we're done okay but yeah yeah and shot placement this is a probably a really good one for people to just google like images shot placement on elk and then shot placement on elk quartering two shot placement on quartering away broadside the frontal is an odd interesting one yeah um yeah but yeah i i'm starting to have a stronger opinion on this i kind of had this in my brain but now that i've shot a few elk i'm starting to notice the differences. I mean, unfortunately it would take about a hundred or 200 before you could really know for sure. So it'd be cool to talk to someone that had done that like Paul, but I'm a big advocate of shooting them high, watch them die. (laughs) You know, the traditional wisdom is to shoot them right behind the shoulder blade, hit them in the heart. Um, I think that comes from rifle hunting where if you have enough shock, 
even if you just clip the bottom part of that, there's enough hydrostatic shock and stuff that goes wrong right next to the most vital organ, the heart, that it just shuts it down and it's it's lights out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they're going to pump blood everywhere. The fact of the matter is, if you put if you put a broadhead through two lungs, even one lung sometimes, but just through two lungs anywhere, they're done. Um, so I always try to my theory on shot placement is that I'm going to aim for the area with the most forgiveness. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. archery goes wrong. Like no matter how perfect you are, stuff gets, goes bad. And so instead of making a shot that might kill them 5% faster, but if you miss, you don't kill them at all. I'm going to go for a shot that you're going to make way higher odds, even if it kills them a tiny, tiny bit slower. Right. Right. Sense. So it's highest margin for error. It's going to give you the yes. best odds to kill. Yes. And so that was my original theory. It's worked out really, really well. Everything I've shot has dropped. Uh, I'm just making sure I'm saying true statements here. The first one was like 70. The second one was like 30. The third one was like 70. This one was like 40. Yeah. They've all dropped within a hundred yards. But I typically aim, I find the crease. I go back like three inches Mm -hmm. and then I go dead middle of the body like top right. to bottom and that dead middle of the body is a, the most important thing that's above the uh the elbow of the shoulder blade mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it but it is there's an elbow in that shoulder blade and there's actually this what they call the golden triangle yeah which is from the elbow of that shoulder blade into the shoulder of the shoulder blade if that makes sense the shoulder mm-hmm. joint it's like a triangle and then that blade comes back up to their true top of the body and so basically i'm aiming midway right that. in that triangle yeah and so if, it, if i screw up and it goes five inches to the left it's in the triangle if mm-hmm. the elk's facing to my left that makes yeah sense. yeah and if i go to the right five inches i'm still catching the end of the lung if i go down five inches i'm still hitting the bottom and if i go up five inches i'm still clipping the top of the lungs versus if you're shooting the bottom you go left you're in the shoulder you go right you're in the guts because the lungs actually go further back up further back the higher on the elk you are mm-hmm they kind of tapered a diagonal up that way, right? So yeah. it's just a way higher odd shot. Um, and I've found, again, this is just low numbers experience, but I've found that they bleed a little less if you shoot them high, but they drop a lot faster. And my mm-hmm. theory on that is that you, and this was true with a rifle too, because I shot like 50 animals in New Zealand that one time. And that's kind of where I first started developing this theory. So I do have numbers there. Um, but when you shoot hole, put holes in the top part of the lungs, the blood goes into the lungs and fills the lungs. Mm-hmm. So they might not drop dead right there, right then, but they only go a few yards before their lungs fill with, this is graphic, fill with blood and they can't breathe. Yeah. Right? And then they're going down. So you might not get the world's best blood trail, but that thing's going to die within 100 yards. Mm-hmm. Versus the other way around, you might get blood everywhere but that blood's draining out of their lungs. They can still breathe. They could do a mad dash for 500,000 yards, which is, that's a hell of a long way to track something. Right. Uh, so anyway, that's my theory. I don't have strong proof. And like, unlike a lot of other things I'm talking about here, that's an, that one's probably the most based in opinion, but I just, I like the idea of aiming middle the body for a lot of forgiveness. Yeah. And that's such a good point because, uh, and a good reminder for me too, because I was, with the axis deer, you know, and, and also mule deer last year, they, mm-hmm. they drop down. So you want to aim a little, you want to pretty much aim at, aim at, uh, that golden triangle, because if they do drop, then you're in that 
zone where you're aiming at. Yeah. Where if you don't and they drop, then uh, you're going to yeah. shoot right over. But uh, that's a good yeah. reminder. Yeah. Elk don't really do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't ever drop below arrow. I mean, not ever strong, but it's really, really rare. They move in time, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're under like 40 feet, 40 yeah. yards, I should say. But yeah. So I think that's it. I mean, that's the entire four or five strategy and tactics in one. Um, and we only hit the good stuff. There's so many little things we didn't hit uh, or we didn't really explain that well, I guess. But does that, uh, it sounds like it was a good refresher for you at least, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Like little things that you just, you just totally forget about, you know? Yeah. Um, I might actually have to go back and listen to the, like the full deep dive episodes, um, at least before elk season, uh, yeah. on long drive or something like that. Yeah, um, I will say one also great tip you made for after the shot happens is just set a timer, just set a timer yeah. for, for like 30, 45 minutes. And then w- what time do you like to do? 45. It's true. That's uh, that episode had more than just packing out the elk, didn't it? But yeah, yeah we, a, that one tip is, can save you and saves that adrenaline rush. Right? I, I always go 45, 45. Okay. Every elk I've ever been around has died within 20, even mm-hmm. if they were one lunged. Um, but I always go 45. Yeah. The only thing you can do worse than not finding the trail is bumping the freaking elk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then it's over, right? And it's over. Uh, that's a mess. So I always just start a timer for 45 minutes because it's also impossible. And maybe guys are a little cooler than I am in the moment, but it's literally impossible for your brain to tell what time has passed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like an hour felt like 10 minutes and sometimes 10 minutes feels like two hours. So it's, I just literally, I mean, the first thing I do is I stop and I just like put an X in the dirt. Well, I watch the elk run away, right? That's always number one and listen. So just yeah. like totally. And I don't, the other one that always drives me bonkers in the YouTube videos. Start calling. No, it's like all five guys start. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's just like this giant cacophony of noise. Just like if you, someone like punched you in the face and every human within 30 yards started screaming, you'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like, if you're going to make noise, just make a bark. Like Paul said, like an alarm bark which mm-hmm. is the like, Hey, I'm scared too. What happened? Yeah. So the elk is like, Oh, maybe it was just another elk uh, mm-hmm. or do nothing. Right. Uh, but anyway, I'll just stop. I guess we're going down this rabbit hole, but I'll just watch it. Listen. Right. If after you can't see it, I just close my eyes so I can hear everything as best as I can. Uh, and then if I don't, there's nothing else. Then I just draw an X in the dirt where I'm standing with my foot, like a tip of my boot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put another, another arrow in the bow because you just never know right right like if an elk's already shot a decent shot in it every arrow you put in it is a good thing um so after that you know then to your point then i'm just gonna pull out my iphone start a timer for 45 minutes to get back in my pocket and then just sit down press a little bit (laughs) get water eat a bunch of food because the work is about to begin (laughs) yeah like it's a really great time to like decompress like you know, think about it. It's uh that's a magical, like 30 minutes. You're just like, Oh my gosh, that happened. Dude. And you oh. really, really quickly transitioned to, Oh crud. What if I can't find it? Oh yeah. 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 The highest high of your life. And then the lowest <laughs> low is coming real quick. Oh man. Yeah. So that's like you said, that's, that's a really great tip. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, if you want to know more about tracking, fuel dressing, packing, all that stuff, it's in the blog post. I'll link it in the description as well. Um, yeah. And again, we covered all these super deep dives in the, in this series last year. So I'll link those too. If you want yeah. to dive into one specific topic. Dang, I'm looking at this one now. I'm like, we could do another 45 minutes here, but you know what? <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could revisit. You could revisit uh, all this stuff, but it's, this has been awesome. Hopefully it helps a lot of folks too. I think it's good for us to get all tuned up before elk season, which is what? Two and a half months away. Oh, so close. So close. Um, well guys, appreciate you as always listening. Um, Josh and I do put a good amount of work into this and like we talked about before, we're not getting much. So the real thing we love to see is hear people uh, email us or message us. We had a really good week. We had a guy message, um, message us on or send me an email. We had someone ping you randomly out of the blue on Instagram. Yeah. That makes our day. So just you know, drop us a line if you like this. You know, obviously there's stuff that helps um, get, get it out, which is the reviews, the five-star ratings on your podcast platform of choice, telling a friend, all that stuff. But um, we do love to hear from folks. So yeah, shout out to uh, Steven who sent us an email through the contact form, Yeah, uh, gave us an update on the, his first OTC archery hunt this fall and shout out to Anthony who reached out on Instagram and said that uh, he loves the podcast. Appreciate it. That definitely keeps us going and it reminds us that you know we're making a difference in a small way as much yeah. as we can so that's good stuff so awesome well we got a few very cool guest episodes and uh with the uh, trail cam episode i alluded to coming up real soon so stay put and we'll talk to you next time